Welcome to Obehave, the behavioral science podcast from Ogilvy Change. One of the first things I noticed when I first discovered behavioral science was that when I gave talks about marketing and advertising, I got invited to marketing and advertising conferences. When I started talking about behavioral economics, I got invited to 10 Downing Street. I'm Julia Stainford and I'm Maddie Crouchen and we're behavioral researchers at Ogilvy Change and co-hosts of this podcast as well as the editors of the Obehave blog. So a few months ago we had the pleasure of having Robert Trivers speak at our Obehave talk series and afterwards we had the benefit of capturing him in conversation with Rory Sutherland talking about his main field of study, deceit and self-deception. Yeah, it was a really interesting conversation between the two discussing the application of Trivers' work to politics, philosophy and religion. It was an animated conversation that lasted well over an hour. So for the purposes of this episode, uh, we've condensed it to the main highlights. Before playing the recording, so you all know who he is. Yep, so Robert Trevis is an evolutionary biologist, um, but he actually describes himself as no ordinary biologist. So unlike other renowned scientists, he's actually spent time behind bars. He's driven a getaway car for Huey P. Newton, and has also founded an armed group in Jamaica to protect gay men from mob violence. Can we find out who Huey P. Newton is? He's a political activist. Oh, mm. check that out. All right, uh, enjoy the uh, conversation. So we're here with Robert Trivers uh, as one of the Ogilvy Change podcasts just to talk briefly about deceit and self-deception. And one of the things that's always interested me is that to some extent evolution doesn't actually care about objective accuracy. It cares about fitness. And therefore, if it can misrepresent the world to us in some way and thereby improve our fitness, that's what it's going to do. And I've always had a vague idea that there are quite a lot of delusions which are deluded but beneficial. So an example I always give is, to me as a Brit, I was going to say European for a moment, but to me certainly as a Brit and certainly as a European as well, the extent to which Americans believe that everybody is the author of their own success and downplay the role of luck in outcomes, always strikes me as one of those things, that it's wrong-headed, it's inaccurate, in some cases it's unfair, but it's nonetheless quite a beneficial delusion. If you have a population of 300 million people who all believe that, yes, they can be the next Gates, the next Abraham Lincoln, the next um, Steve Jobs, it, it will produce a successful economy, even at some cost to those people who fail. Would, would you say that the same thing is true of self-delusion, that actually it, it's, a, it's a mechanism which in a sense benefits people who win or, or creates more winners, but at a certain price to people who lose? Well, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, I've never thought of it that way. So I'd have to think about it a little. I, I like it. I think it's very creative that there might be this differential payoff associated uh, with success or failure, on the one hand, uh, degree of self-deception, on the other hand, or at least successful self-deception. The particular example used, it's, it's very hard for me to think about my own country and its delusions. Certainly we have that one very strongly, that, hey, this is America, anybody can succeed. All you got to do is so-and-so-and-so. Yeah. 
which is largely BS, uh, or certainly grossly overstated. And yes, I would, I, off the top of my head, I would say it tends to benefit some and uh, to uh, harm others. So you would, so you would have both the individual pay, positive payoff to self-deception at the same time you have a cost to it uh, when you're on the losing side of things. But I haven't really thought about it in those precise terms before. And I suppose I'm taking it one stage further. I've got to be very careful what I say here because my wife's a curate in the uh, Anglican Church. But one interesting facet of religions is that whether they're true or not is one question. Right. There's a secondary question, which is whether they're beneficial. Right. Whether those beliefs, whether it's a collection of uh, you know, universally held heuristics and rules, even if it may or may not be true, that isn't the question to ask. And I've, I've always said, teasingly, to the sort of extreme Dawkinsites, you know, if you got me two identical islands and you populated one with 400 uh, rationalist um, humanists and the other 400 with 400 Mormons, I'd kind of bet on the Mormons. Me too. <laughs> so um, so there's, there's a strange question, which is getting very, very angry with religion and assuming that it's kind of virus when it may actually be a beneficial or necessary force for creating larger human societies. It seems a bit unkind from some parts of the uh, evolutionary biology. Well, I tend to agree with you here, Rory. I, um, um, first of all, I, I say religion's very complicated. You know, don't, don't mistake part of it uh, the veneer for the full thing, no, or you know, it's misapplications or misuses for the entire show because it's it's, it's complicated. And yes, I do believe that religion uh, can serve certain uh, functions at the level of, of groups or societies or something like that. Um, exactly how to think about it's another matter. Um, I'll give you a joke that I use, uh, I, I will use in some context in terms of self-deception. You may know that uh, uh, under the, um, I forget the name of the foundation that supported it, they did six different independent studies as to, as to whether intercessory prayer worked or not. Did you know this? Was it Templeton Foundation? It wasn't exactly. It was. Exactly, it was the Templeton Foundation. Um, so they had plenty of money. Uh, Harvard Medical School was one of the six units, so there's no question they, they, they did this at a high level. So what did they do? They had people that were recovering from an operation in a hospital, and they had 20 different criteria that were used in the hospital for recovery. You know, he's up and walking around, Rory's talking again, whatever the damn criteria, yeah. check them off. All right, fine. Half of the people were prayed for, and half the people were not. And that's just a bunch of people in a room scrunching up their heads and praying, oh Lord God, uh, help Mr. Rory Sutherland through this crisis, Lord God. All right, fine. So what do they find? No effect whatsoever, as you would expect. How in God's name can we believe in science and God at the same time and then believe that God would set up the world so that he or she would change outcomes solely based on people making noises. I mean, you know, it's, it's absurd. You're violating physics and chemistry and God knows what all. Uh, 
if, if intercessory prayer really works. All right, here's a joke. They further split the audience in half, and they told half that they were being prayed for. And the other half, they didn't tell them they were being prayed for. Now, what was the effect? What's your guess? I'll make you take the fall here. Or you let Rory... My, my guess would be that there might be a kind of placebo effect to knowing you're being prayed for, That's and that those people would actually recover faster. But Right. Is that what happened? No. Well, no. Of course not. Of course it never is, is it? No. Right. Okay. It's, yeah. It's yeah. Always, one uses it always because it's going to give you the other answer. No. All 20, I swear to Jesus, all 20 characters were negative instead of positive. Now, out of those 20, maybe three were themselves statistically significant. But if all 20 are pointing the same way, that's highly significant. So now you have to switch it around. So now you say, well, maybe you're sitting there in bed and they come in and they say, and they take Rory's hand and they look him straight in the eye and they say, Rory, we're all praying for you. It was beautiful. The minister got up and mentioned your condition. We all prayed for you. And so you say to yourself, fuck, excuse my French, this is even worse than I thought it was, right? But then I have a little joke on it off of intercessory prayer where Rory is sitting there saying, wait a second, I happen to know that intercessory prayer doesn't work, see result one, so why don't you do something useful for me? So I haven't yet had a person, a friend who's in the hospital. But I swear to Jesus, if Rory were in the hospital, I would go to him and I would say, look, Rory, don't worry about your dogs. I'm going over there twice a week and I feed your dogs. Oh, by the way, we just had a cleaning crew come in and they cleaned your apartment top to bottom. We'll leave if I could get married out of this. Top to bottom. You know, so in other words, as soon as you're ready to come out, the apartment's clean and the dogs are alive. So what you do is you don't plan, promise them something that we know has no effect and cannot have any effect. You promise them something beneficial, even though it's not related to them, you know, uh, improving at the moment. But anyway, getting back to uh, getting away from jokes and more serious topic. No, I don't even like to say I'm an atheist. I'll say an agnostic, even though agnosticism was some kind of belief system. Forget that. Who knows? You know, recent earth creationism is utter nonsense. You know, the universe has been around yeah. at least 15 billion years. And now finally they're considering that universes may have existed before this universe. And there may be parallel universes. And maybe after a universe collapses down, it then explodes back out. So that the 15 billion years ago was merely the end of a previous universe and it exploded back out. There could even be natural selection between universes and so forth and so on. So we're all so ignorant. You know, who wants to presume to s s say something strong about it, it can or cannot be that the world has this structure? There are a few philosophers who think the most likely explanation for existence is that we're living in some kind of simulation. We're part of someone else's social science experiment. Yeah, okay. Touche. Yeah. <laughs> a guy named Jamie Pennebaker at University of Texas did some extremely important work uh, way back in 1998. And now it's a, now it's, they do meta-analyses and they've got 
you know, over 300 papers and all that kind of stuff. There's a, there's a whole industry out there. What did he show? He showed that sharing trauma was beneficial for your immune system. So he brought in people and he said, tell me about the worst childhood trauma that you've had. Now, the worst is sexual abuse. It's women suffered more than men, Catholic priests notwithstanding. Uh, of course, the earlier the age is, the worst. But more than half of women never tell a soul. What does it correlate with? How close the abuser was to her in genetic terms and family terms. So if your abuser is your high school swimming coach, then you're likely to tell dad. The coach put his hand somewhere where I don't wasn't comfortable. And dad may do something about it. If it's your uncle or your dad. Then you've got a problem. If it's your stepdad, a common response from mother is, you're lying. You've always disliked your stepdad. Well, in fact, you have always disliked him. <laughs> For pretty good reasons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes. So, um, um, so the closer you are, the less likely you are to tell anybody. Fine. Now, physical abuse is next. They beat me a lot. Then comes divorce or uh, death of a parent. Okay, fine. Whatever it is, you, you uh, got to tell them. Now, they split you into two groups. One group, beginning the next day and for three days, you write in a private journal for 20 minutes about the trauma. Now, this is something you're not tending to do because you're suppressing the trauma. Tra trauma makes you feel bad. So they're making you face the trauma. They tell you that they're going to burn the book afterwards, and they literally do, to make sure that you know this is just between you and the book. It is, is not, it's not going any further. The other group write about what they did that day. Now, here's, here's the result. In terms of your feelings, they go down straight. One, uh, next day you feel worse, next day you feel even worse, third day you feel worse too. Because you're thinking about something that you don't want to think about. But your immune system, they take a, a, a bit of spit, goes up immediately. Your immune system improves. It improves the second day. It improves the third day. Now, three weeks, three months later, your immune system is still elevated. Now your feelings have caught up. Now you actually feel better than the control group who are flatlining it throughout. So again, it's uh, the, the immune system is leading the feelings in, in this particular case. You must know a man called Nicholas Humphrey. Do you, a psychologist? Oh, I sure do. Uh, I, mean, I find his theory on the placebo effect. Yes. That essentially there's a kind of central governor or central regulator yes. that decides how propitious the time is to invest scarce resources in yes. healing and recovery. Yes. I find that very, very interesting because, of course, it raises the, the strange philosophical question, well, is homeopathy okay? Because, no, it doesn't work against placebo, but if it's a pretty good placebo, what's not to like? <laughs> you got that right. Um, exactly right. It don't work better than placebo, but it is a very good placebo because people believe, believe it more than a placebo. Do you know the latest thing? It's in my book, but they, well, it was the latest thing when I did the book. They told people, look, this is a placebo. Uh, that means it has no chemical effect. You understand? 
but be sure to rub it in. <laughs> sure enough, that you get a placebo yeah. effect from a placebo. Now, here's here's the point I want to come around to and, and then end it. Um, we didn't evolve talking to a tape recorder, so the sharing is probably with another person. You, you, you share it with your best friend. Maybe you don't share it with your mother, that what stepdad did, but you share it with a friend. Or, the other day I said to myself, maybe you share it with the Lord in prayer. You see, because praying to God about it and actually discussing it for 20 minutes, you know, how does that differ from writing in a private diary? I'm not sure it does. Well, at a time when people couldn't write, it was perhaps the best there was. Yeah. Well, that's a good point, too, that the writing is very recent. Right. So that made me wonder whether there were aspects of prayer, again, that could be beneficial to you. And it does not matter who's listening, you know. It may matter that you believe that someone's listening or else you wouldn't go through the exercise. But what you're really doing is sharing it with someone in a way that means you're actually sharing it with yourself. You're dealing with it now instead of suppressing it out of sight. So in any case, and, and there, Rory, I think we're just scraping the surface. Religion's a very complicated business, you know? Yeah. I mean, the other possible value of things which are irrational um, maybe, and strangely, I always, I, I, you may not agree with this coming from Jamaica, which I guess is a monarchy. Of course, it is actually, it's still effectively a constitutional monarchy, Jamaica, isn't it? Queen Elizabeth II is the head of state. Um, I've, always had a, I've always had a vague defense of, of monarchy, which is not actually because it makes any logical sense. No one would design anything like that. But there's a very good uh, uh, commentator, one of the Hitchens cousins, and I can't remember yes. which said, the value of a queen in a society is rather like the value of a king in chess, which is it doesn't have much power in itself, but the value lies in the positions it denies to other pieces. Uh -huh. And the value of having a monarch is that your president doesn't end up living in a palace. Yes. It takes away the sort of self-deluding pomp and glory from elected officials and vests it in someone deliberately arbitrary. So quite often, I, and there may be a, a value to religion we haven't understood, which is simply that it's, uh, you know, it's better than the alternative. You know, if, if, if praying for the ill actually prevents you from panicking, then it has a value, not, not in itself, but in terms of what it actually prevents. So I think that's a, there's an, an interesting question, which is, I think, one of the things that bothers me about rationalists, they're always trying to optimise things, whereas quite a lot of life is just about decatastrophizing things. I find Nassim Taleb very good on this, you know, an awful lot of, say, religious rules, you know, don't eat this kind of food. Yes. You know, it's not an optimal, you know, Jewish dietary law isn't optimal, but it's a very, very good, very good universally understood system, yes. which just avoids catastrophe. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. And botanist, I should add, uh, Robert Trivers, for that talk, which was certainly wide ranging and fantastic. <laughs> so your reputation for fearlessness preceded you, but that was... Uh, Absolutely a roller coaster ride, which I I will remember for the rest of my life. Thank well, you very much indeed. God bless you, Rory. I appreciate it. So, if you want to hear more from Robert Trivers, you should definitely check out some of his interesting books: Deceit and Self-Deception: Fooling Yourself to Better Fool Others, or Folly of Fools: The Logic of Deceit and Self-Deception in Human Life.
And if you want to hear more from us, you should check out our blog, o-behave.tumblr.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Ogilvy Change and like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Ogilvy Change. Lastly, we want to thank our sponsor, Sound Lounge, enabling advertisers to use music in more powerful ways. Special thanks to Ruth Simmons for introducing us to the world of sound branding and Julian Goodkind for managing the music origination and production for this show. Thanks for listening. <laughs>